which is the last case. Numbers 
terribly well, but it does nonetheless make findings that this goes back to 2013. Yes, it does, Judge, and I point that out in my brief at page 11. The district court specifically said that he narrowed his restitution amount to those with respect to Ms. Fox alone, not part of any loss created. Right, right, right. That's what gets it down to the $1.2 million some level. But the real question is that, again, what I learned is that the Mandatory Victim Restitution Act starts with the issue of what is the victim. It's sort of a civil remedy, and in this particular case, there is one victim with respect to the offense of conviction, and that's MS. There aren't any others. This wasn't a conspiracy in this case that was charged here. She didn't plead to a conspiracy. The only question becomes is whether or not the judge deciding to look, as he did, to her initial conduct was an abuse of discretion because he's using a formula to determine restitution, which is outside of the scope of the Mandatory Victims Restitution Act. So I thought in your brief you were arguing that there were two different schemes. I mean, we need to identify the scheme, but I couldn't see where the evidence was that these were two different unrelated schemes. From the order that you provided and the issue was is that there could be a potential that even though the offense of conviction was different and separate, it's a possibility that the evidence was overlapping and there could be two schemes. So my brief focused on the fact not only that the offense of conviction was totally separate, but also that there was a separate scheme. The offense of conviction just focused on that one act of wire fraud. But the issue with respect to the separate scheme, as was pointed out, all during the argument is that Ms. Fox had a tax fraud scheme that involved the education credit that began in 2012 and continued. The wire fraud scheme in this case was in 2016, and it was only with her disseminating information. She sends the personal identifying information about this particular person. And clearly what was charged here, and again, I didn't understand it, and that was part of the issue with trying to craft an appropriate plea declaration. Her scheme was not charged technically from 2012 to 2015, and it wasn't charged at all. And so the question was, well, that's going to be part of the relevant conduct, and it's possible if we don't plead to the one charge that you clearly did, the government could easily supersede and add this whole other scheme with this evidence that they have and we'll be in a worse position. So the strategic thing to do was to try to figure out how to essentially have her admit what she did, what she clearly was charged with and did, and contest all the others. Yes, Judge? Finish your thought. So the question in preparing the supplemental brief was, what exactly was the scheme that the judge was focused upon? And it was clearly from the arguments on the sentencing hearing with respect to how to calculate the sentence, the actual loss, everything was focused primarily on the guideline calculation and the loss. And that was where the focus in his sentencing for the restitution was also focused on that scheme as well, that you are going to be accounted for the relevant conduct, and that's how he focused on it. There was no issue with respect to the wire fraud scheme at all, and as I pointed out in my brief, it just wasn't there. 
No one raised it. And again... So doesn't that point us in the direction of plain error review? I think plain error is what most of the decisions that I reviewed point out, I think, and would, and indeed both of them all say plain error because... But the language is that the issue was not... There was no challenge to the restitution at all. Right. And I will just say, speaking as an ex-district judge, that would seem to point in favor of affirmance. That is, the district judge here seems to have resolved all the issues presented to him. Yes, and that's correct. Unfortunately, though, my understanding, and please correct me if I'm wrong, the Mandatory Victim Restitution Act statutorily is designed primarily as a sort of civil remedy. And even though the judge and the parties didn't do it, the restitution order must be pursuant to the statute. And so to the extent that the judge has to, the court has to apply the standard, the test for the statute, by choosing not to do that is an abuse of discretion is why I pointed it out that way. But I believe also, again, the plain error reaches to the same result. Even if we agree that the district court should have explicitly defined the scheme, how can we, do you think, conclude that the error was obvious, given that the plea declaration and the PSR broadly defined the scheme? And in the challenge to the restitution amount, Ms. Fox assumed the applicability of the broader scope. Well, with respect to the plea declaration in particular, she pled to the particular offense of conviction, not the other charges. In regards to the broader scheme, it's clearly within the context of the relevant conduct. And that was strategic for a reason, because obviously what you want the district court judge to understand is that she's not minimizing her criminal conduct for calculating her sentence. You want to make sure she's accounting for that. But there was no indication at all, and there's no discussion really about restitution, which is why the district court sort of bifurcated it. Our argument was really about the sentencing issue. And the mistake was made is that once the restitution issue was separated out, I should have focused on the statutory definition of what and how you calculate it separately. I didn't do it. I know it now and plan to make sure that all my colleagues understand this. Okay. Thank you. And you've used your time, but we helped you do that. Thank you. So we will give you the two minutes that you requested, Mr. Mitchell. Thank you. Thank you. Hello, Mr. Whalen. May it please the court. Nathaniel Whalen here on behalf of the United States. Can I start you, please? Please. Doesn't the record allow for the possibility that there were the two distinct schemes here, one encompassing the exchange of information with the group in this count and a different scheme involving the systemic filing of fraudulent returns exploiting the education credit? Your Honor, I don't think this record allows for that inference. At least it certainly does not plainly allow for that. The plea declaration. So the defendant admits in her plea declaration she engaged in a scheme to defraud from 2014 to 17. 
She admits that includes including fraudulent tax returns with these false education credits. She admits there are other means by which the scheme to defraud was effectuated. She's sharing PII with her co-conspirators. She's inflating business losses, inflating business income. We have a couple different ways the scheme was effectuated and the returns were fraudulent, but it is all part of the charged scheme. And the charged scheme was not 2012 to um, 2014. It was 2014 to 2017. That's what she admits. That's what Judge DiGiulio found by adopting the PSR at sentencing. That's also what he found in his statements to the court or his, his statements during sentencing. Um, the, the standard of review is plain error here. The defendant did not object to the scope of the scheme at any point, didn't object in filings, didn't object to the PSR statement, the section called the scheme to defraud. Um, the only objection raised was that she should get credit for audited returns that she believed the IRS got back. Um, the IRS, she believed, recouped money. The district court found that wasn't the case in the district court's order on restitution. What? Why should we be, you know, straining to patch together a definition of the scheme from the PSR and um, the plea declaration, as you uh, suggested in the briefs, when, when the district court is entrusted with that task and is in the best position to define it? couple responses. I don't think this court does have to strain. I think the indictment's pretty clear on what the scheme to defraud is. I think the plea declaration is pretty clear as to what the scheme to defraud is. And frankly, I think the district court is pretty clear about what the scheme to defraud is. When he says at page 24, you and your co-defendants employed a scheme to defraud the IRS by preparing and filing phony federal tax returns. Among other things, it appears you utilize education tax credits that you knew were fraudulent to increase tax refunds. So amongst other things, the court acknowledged there were a couple different ways that these, the scheme was effectuated again, but it kind of honed in on this particular issue, the education credits. And that's all Ms. Fox is being asked to pay in restitution, the returns that she submitted that contains these education credits. That is the entirety of her restitution obligation. That's the $1.2 million. And so that is what the district court found was the scheme to defraud. She never objected to that being the scheme to defraud. I just want to address a couple other questions and issues raised in the opening argument. Um, MS is not the victim in the case. The IRS is the victim in this case. They were the ones who defrauded out of millions of dollars through these nearly 700 tax returns. Um, though Miss. Fox pled guilty to one wire. This court's noted time and again that restitution applies to the scheme, not just the single wire. Most recent, or the case that both parties cite is Locke at 643 F3rd 247. The court sets out that standard. That's not just the one wire that you're held responsible for for restitution purposes. It's the entire scheme. Um, frankly, Your Honors, unless there are any other questions, I think we'd rest on our briefs and ask this court to affirm. Thank you. Thank you very much. Mr. Mitchell, thank you. Mr. Whalen, thank you very much. Can you give much. him just two minutes? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I gave it. I'm, I'm taking it It's back. right up there. I'm, oh, this is terrible. Oh, I am sorry. That's right, Judge. I, I just uh, thank you for the extra time. Uh, the, the, the real question, again, is, is the calculation of the restitution amount pursuant to the, the statute in this case. 
and the requirement that the district judge be there specific in identifying and demarcating the scheme. It, it wasn't done in this case at, at all. And, and as you pointed out correctly that, you know, there's, the record doesn't allow it to be determined by this court at all. Yes, there's language back and forth because it was hotly contested. This issue of, of the amount of restitution and loss was highly contested. And that's but not right. in terms of scheme or not. I thought it was just contested because of refunds or audits or other sorts of things. Not, that, I didn't see people making that there were two schemes or three schemes, you know, that type of argument. No, and, and that was because of the way the plea declaration was actually accepted, which is the one charge, which was not a scheme, which was not a, a, a conspiracy. It was one wire fraud with the MS victim that essentially was an, a separate kind of issue where it was actually disseminated from Ms. Box, not her doing the tax. So that was the, the focus. And again, the, the record is devoid of anything because the focus really from the district court was about the loss calculation primarily and the relevant conduct that should be accounted, not the, the Mandatory Victim Restitution Act. Unless you have any other questions, thank you very much. And thank you again, Mr. Mitchell. Thank you again, Mr. Whalen. And the case will be taken under advisement.